Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for musicians, singers, songwriters, artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm your host, Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated. Check out www.nhte.net. Be sure to sign up for the email newsletter there, which is quick and easy. All that's required is an email address. Be sure you are subscribing to this podcast and telling your friends to do so as well. We're thrilled to be on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Lots of great guests on Now Hear This Entertainment, or as I've taken to calling it, NHTE. Joining me on location here in San Diego, my guest is an illustrator, animator, cartoonist, and children's book author whose work includes the syndicated comic strips The Duplex and The Flying McCoys. His nationally syndicated editorial cartoons have been reprinted in the New York Times, USA Today, and Newsweek and frequently appear on CNN. He also works for many of the top magazines, greeting card companies, and publishing houses in the country. His clients range from Playboy to Parade, and he has designed and written for several TV and feature animation studios, including DreamWorks, 20th Century Fox, and Walt Disney TV, among others. It's my pleasure to welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Glenn McCoy. Hey, Bruce. Thanks for having me uh, in your ginormous studio here. (laughs) Glenn, welcome. It's nice to meet you. Listeners, as you can already tell, we're doing things a little different this week. In the spirit of Now Hear This Entertainment, we're venturing away from music this episode, just like we did on episodes such as number 78, when my guest was comedian Mike E. Winfield, episode 32 with author and podcaster Srini Rao, and the popular episode 29 when I interviewed former WWE diva Carly Perez, who is now on Lucha Underground, to name just three past NHTE episodes with non-music guests. Glenn, for starters, we are on location during Comic-Con International. You will be doing an autograph signing and serving on a panel here today. What is your history with this massive event? And I say massive, meaning both in size and popularity. Well, I've been here probably four or five times in the past, but it's always been like sharing a room with like six guys trying to fight the crowd. So, yeah, I'm... It's it's nice having the uh, the good folks at Comic Con host me this year and and uh, it just makes everything just so much more enjoyable when you're when you're not like trying to figure out how you're going to find a shuttle home at two two thirty drunk and so so yeah this is all just just an incredible event I love it but I wonder and I was thinking about this as I was waiting for you to come up here. There's, for your education, there's a segment in the middle of this show where every week I give out a tip for the listeners and primarily for those who are up-and-coming entertainers. And one thing I refer to one one week as my tip is on Instagram, there's something where you can label yourself as a public figure. And I said, for those of you who are just getting started in the business up-and-coming, get over yourself. Don't label yourself as a public figure. You're not. Just put your nose to to the wheel and your shoulders to the wheel, rather, your nose to the ground. Do the hard work. And don't consider, but do you consider yourself a public figure? Do people recognize you when you're out and about? I mean, obviously here they're going to know Glenn McCoy is doing an autograph signing at this time in this place. But what about that? No, I, I don't. And that's one of the nice things about being a cartoonist is this, uh, you're, you're not as conspicuous as other people. You're, it's really a solitary life. You just sit in your studio alone staring at blank sheets of paper and trying to fill in boxes so yeah whenever you actually venture out of your you know your little like cave and come out to things like this and people 
you know, respond to your work and tell you that you've like impacted them in some way, it's, it's always a shock because you never really think about that when you're doing the work, you're just trying to draw something funny. And it's, it's just nice to actually see the people whose eyeballs have like passed over my drawings. But are there people who are so rabid about your work that they will make sure that they seek you out to find out what you look like so that when they see you in public, they say, hey, Glenn McCoy. Yeah, yeah, that, that happens here and it happens at home. And that, that always is, is a little, it freaks you out to, at, at a, to a point because like, like again, you, you just don't really, uh, you don't think of your stuff in terms of public consumption because it would it would just tense me up too much if I thought what I was doing, if I thought about it in terms of how many people would be looking at it and, and watching it. I just try to make, make myself laugh and that's the only goal I go for. And so I, I really forget about the drawing after it, you know, it goes out to the syndicate or goes across the wire and I, I'm thinking about the next deadline down the pike. But yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's just, uh, it's fun to see people, you know, reacting and responding and actually discuss this kind of stuff because, you know, my wife and kids, they don't get it. You know, they just know this is how I, you know, I keep the roof over their heads. But when you're when you out at events like this and people are excited about, like, what pins you're using and what kind of, you know, your, the setups you do for your, your cartoons and stuff like that and how you structure your gags, it's like, wow, you actually think of there's someone else in the world who thinks about this stuff besides me. Yeah, I like I like that answer. Um, I'm curious. Unlike musicians who must get out and perform constantly in front of their fans, as you're as you're saying here, readers experience your work without you there in front of them. So, is it is it refreshing though to to get out to an event like this? And and I guess being a political cartoonist, you must get a lot of feedback on your work. Again, just like a musician will get fans talking to them about their songs. Is that refreshing or is it sometimes you kind of tense up like, uh-oh, what's this person going to say? Well, there's a little bit of that. Like if I'm at a public event doing a book signing or anything, you don't know if, you know, some lone gunman's going to like pop out of the bushes. But for, for the most part, being a cartoonist is like being a, a musician or stand-up comedian who uh, instead of having that immediate response that, that these performers do from the crowd or the audience, it's sort of like the cartoonist does his act on a tape recorder and then hits play and leaves the room, and then they wait for the uh, reviews later on because it's, you don't get that immediate response. The editorial cartooning is the closest thing because my cartoons run the next day, so the letters to the editor or phone calls, that's that's kind of fun. But I, I go to a, com, a coffee place in the morning uh, in my hometown, and I will sit there and I'll work and I'll watch when someone's reading the newspaper and they're turning to my cartoon or the comics page and I know that they're reading my cartoon and, I, and, I, and I'm fixated on the expression that my cartoon is gonna elicit. Like if they, if they look angry or they smile or they laugh or they roll their eyes, I mean, you know, that's, that's like a treat for me actually being able to see in real time how people react to my stuff. So even if you do see it elicit a response from them that maybe is a little quote-unquote negative, is it is it a case of, Bruce, I'm just happy that it moved them in some way? Is that the case? Well, in terms of the uh, editorial cartoons, again, uh, it's a give and take. I mean, uh, you know, I have a forum that I've been given to voice an opinion. That's, that's all I do as an editorial cartoonist is express opinions. We all have them. You know, we, we all 
uh, take opinions, I, I just have to draw them out and put them out there for the public. So in that sense, I welcome you know the reader's response because I figure if, if I should, if I'm allowed to put my opinion out there, I want to know what people think of it and I want to hear their their response because basically as an editorial cartoonist, I'm a provocateur. I'm just trying to get the the discussion going. And I don't mind engaging in that discussion, you know, in, in a, on a civil basis, of course, and <laughs> a nonviolent basis. But yeah, I, I enjoy engaging uh, my readers and talking to them and hearing what they say. And a lot of times they, they change my opinion on things. Okay, I'm, that very last thing is, is uh, I was about to say to you, you know, so again, using the music analogy, if someone's writing and performing original music, if they get enough feedback, if they haven't recorded that yet, there's a chance they may go and change the bridge or change the final the final verse or whatever. But in your case, the work has already been done, so you can't go back and change it. So do you let these this feedback influence you in any way as it relates to what you're putting into your work? Well, it, it can change my work as on an organic level in terms of the span of my the, all my work combined. As far as the individual cartoon, I obviously can't go back and, ch and change that, but I mean, I, I tend to look at my cartoons not as one cartoon or two cartoons, but as a whole expanse of cartoons. And I, I like for them to be, for the readers to be acquainted with who I am and what I do because they, if, if they just take a, see a cart, one cartoon, it's just a snapshot of how I feel that day, you know, about that issue at that particular moment in time after I just had a bad sandwich and I got in an argument with my boss. But in the totality of what I do, I think you can sort of get a sense of me in, in a, as a complete person. And I, I range, you know, I, I my opinions change. They they're nuanced, so one drawing which is supposed to encapsulate one point of an issue can in no way you know, gather up the whole totality of what, what we're talking about. So like one cartoon, you know, the, every issue has like a million facets, it's like a diamond, and I only comment usually on one, one little chip out of that diamond on a, a given day. You said a couple things that I want to go back and follow up on. Number one is you said um, you go sit in a coffee shop. You also referred to your family. Where is home for you? Uh, I, I work out of St. Louis, uh, out of St. Louis, Missouri. So um, I work for a studio here in uh, in California that's based in Santa Monica in Paris. So uh, I half the time I'm working. So it kind of. I don't really have to be on premise. I, I have my studio is geared up to where I can crank out as much work as possible. And uh, my clients tend to be on both coasts of the United States and in Europe. So we're in the day and age now where, you know, it just works really well for me to just work out of my, my office and, you know, because they, they wouldn't want me walking around in my underwear at the studio like I, <laughs> I do at home. Maybe once a week, but not yeah. every day. Yeah. Uh, you also mentioned... Um, phone calls that, that go into the newsroom. So are there actually editors that are calling you and saying, hey, just wanted to let you know, Glenn, we got some people calling, or, or is it just kind of they, by this point, they're accustomed to how to handle those calls and you don't really get, it doesn't trickle down to you? Well, they, they, they run interference for most of the, the calls where they'll be screened before they get to me. I get like all the emails and letters, you know, it, occasionally I, I will call a reader if I, if I think that, wow. yeah, I, I need to reach out to them because they, they've they totally gotten my cartoon so far wrong that I want to like actually, but for, for the most part, uh, yeah, there, there is a little bit, bit of a buffer there, um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a fun thing to, to hear 
for, from the readers. I, I, I really do enjoy it. I'm, I'm impressed that, that you will actually, and I know you're not saying it's every day and it's a huge part of your job, but that you will call a reader. That's, that, that's, that's really notable. Um, you also mentioned, because sometimes I will ask a musical guest, you know, what are you playing these days? What kind of gear are you using? So obviously yours, you mentioned that some people will be as specific as approaching an autograph signing and asking you what you're drawing with. But I'm, I'm interested in, once you do draw it, how does that become electronic? Well, that, uh, this sort of arcs back to what we were discussing in terms of the, uh, how quick the response is on cartoons. Because when I started doing editorial cartoons a few, like uh, 25 years ago, if I did an editorial cartoon, I would have like a couple days before that would see print. I mean, you, because I would have to mail it to the syndicate, an editor would look at it, then mail it to the newspaper, and then it would like two or three days later. Uh, but now we live in such a fast-paced age that you don't have that buffer anymore. And it's, I, I will finish a cartoon, I will send it to my syndicate, uh, reach over, take a drink of my coffee, click onto a website, and virtually within the minute that I finish the cartoon, it's already out there, it's already being seen by people. So you really have no more, you don't have this time, this luxury of time that you used to have where you could stop and reflect and say, you know what, I shouldn't have drawn that cartoon. <laughs> you know, that, that was, so you just kind of, you're just flying without a net. But is it, pardon my ignorance, but are you scanning it and emailing it? How does it become what you oh, just I drew with, with your hand and pencil and paper into something that's now available for print? Well, well uh, now I work on a Cintiq, or a Wac Wacom uh, Cintiq, which is a, a digital tablet. So you work with a pen, uh, but instead of drawing on paper, I draw on the computer screen. And so there is no scanning. It's, it's virtually, once I put that pen down, it is done and ready to be sent out. Uh, we talk from time to time on this show about awards, and in your case, you, listen to this, listeners, this is a really impressive. Your peers in the International, or excuse me, the National Cartoonist Society have twice named you the Magazine Cartoonist of the Year, the Editorial Cartoonist of the Year, Comic Strip Cartoonist of the Year, and Greeting Card Artist of the Year, making you the first recipient to be honored in four different fields. First of all, congratulations. But secondly, put those awards in perspective. Do those honors tell you that you're doing something right, or is it getting your work syndicated that means the most? Uh, syndication is great just because it gets your stuff in, in front of more eyeballs, but uh, the, the, the awards, because they are voted on and given by my peers, it, it means a lot because these are the people who, who I, I, I love their stuff, I'm big fans of theirs, and to, to, get, that back, to get that love back is, is great. But I, I take it that it's, um, I'll call it a healthy fraternity, it's not that, because you didn't use the word my competition is, is voting me into these awards. Uh, well, the, yeah, I guess we're, com we're competing for newspaper real estate in that sense, but it's such a big world now and it's, the internet has opened up uh, the, the uh, playing field to, to a degree that I don't think I'm really competing with them in the sense that it used to be like so many comic strips were on a, on a newspaper comics page and if one person uh, got in, you got bumped out. Nowadays, our work is seen on you know countless internet sites. The the print side is almost no longer a factor. So in that in that new reality, in that new paradigm, you can kind of you know you're not really co that competition isn't there anymore. So yeah, our, I think our hackles are down now, and we can we just give a lot of group hugs. So it's it's all good. 
Uh, if I may, I'd like to continue the music comparisons here because performers are always wondering how do they get their music, say, on Sirius XM, for example. Your work, as I mentioned in the intro, has been reprinted in the New York Times, USA Today, and Newsweek and appear frequently on CNN. So educate the listeners on the process in your line of work in terms of how you do get those placements. Okay, um, I, I'm asked by a lot of like fledgling cartoonists, you know, how do you, how can they get to where I'm at or do what I'm doing? And it's it's an impossible question to ask because life is serendipitous. You know, you you trip into one door and you stagger backwards into another door, and and so. Um, but if, if I had to give advice, first you have to be passionate about about what you're doing. If, if the passion isn't there, then you, you have no business doing anything, music or cartooning, for, for that matter. And uh, and you should also, as I mentioned, try to please yourself first and foremost, and draw what you find funny and not what you think an editor or a syndicate editor or, or a newspaper editor is going to find funny. Because if you speak to, you know, more honestly from your own sense of humor, the people who share that sense of humor, they're out there and they're going to tap into that and they're going to relate to it and they're going to be your core fan base. And they're going to be the people who write the newspapers and defend you when they're doing a comics poll and they're going to be the ones who get your stuff on a very deep level. And if you if you don't do that, you're never going to reach that depth with the, with the readers. So I always tell the, you know, cartoonists, you know, write to what you find funny and people are going to and you're going to find an audience because no one is that freaky that no that other people don't share their sense of humor I found uh, surprisingly but is there such a thing as uh, you know so a musician can just hire somebody to say pitch my movie or I'm sorry pitch my song to film and television is there someone that a Glenn McCoy can hire to say try to get my work syndicated well I, I do have an agent but I found that um, I don't use him to get me work because usually the work somehow finds me and, but I use my agent, once someone calls and says, do you want to work on this project or this movie or whatever, I'll say, yes, I do, call my agent and we'll work out the deal. But so, um, but yeah, agents are great uh, be, because they, they do make phone calls and, and you know, set up meetings and set up pitch meetings and things like that. So that's always good if you can get representation. But I've always found through, through my course is you get your stuff out there to as many places as possible. I, when I started out, I was sending myself to every magazine, every greeting card company. Uh, I was cold calling studios out in Hollywood. I would fly out, lying to them, you know, to, just to get the pitch meeting. And then I would come, I would go back home and I would get a phone call from somebody else who saw my work on someone's desk. And it's just, like I said, it just sort of serendipitously falls into place like that. Did, did you say lying to them? I hope, I hope, did I hear you correctly? No, no, I, I lied my ass off initially when I first, I first got a pitch meeting with Disney, and uh, so the meeting didn't go well, so I flew back and I called a bunch of studios saying that, you know, I was just I'm, I was just out with Disney, and, you know, I kept it vague enough to where I wasn't really, I couldn't be dragged into a courtroom, but I said, yeah, I, I was working with Disney on something, and they said, oh, yeah, well, we want to see your stuff. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's my advice to most people is dishonesty in line will get you further in line. <laughs> I love it because, listeners, that reminds me, go back and listen to episode 174 when I talked to Mark Ensign, and he described how he set his goal that he wanted to play bass 
on Broadway. He was a bass player and just kind of did what Glenn is describing here in terms of he eventually got himself playing bass in the Tony Award-winning Broadway show Rent for parts of 10 years and describes this just really, really unorthodox approach that he took where he was calling people and basically, uh, I forget, I think he said, he didn't call it lying, he said uh, telling the truth in advance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so check that one out, listeners. I am on location at Comic-Con International at the Convention Center in San Diego talking with illustrator, animator, cartoonist, and children's book author Glenn McCoy. Visit his official website at glennmccoy.com. That's Glenn with two N's and, yes, McCoy with two C's. He is also on Facebook. You will find a link to Facebook on his website. His books, which include Penny Lee and her TV and I See a Santa Everywhere, among others, are available via the usual retailers such as Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Remember that if you're going to buy anything whatsoever from Amazon, please go to nhte.net and click on the tall Amazon banner to get there. They will kick back a small percentage of the sale to this show at no extra cost to you. If you're moved so much by this show that you want to make a contribution, there's a campaign at patreon.com nhte. There's some nice reward gifts there as a thank you. You can also go to nhte.net and click on the Patreon button. Right next to it is a button to join our Facebook group, which is called NHTE Listeners. Right into the show, just to say hello, ask a question, suggestion, anything. The email address is podcast at nhte.net. And remember that you don't have to sit in front of your computer to listen to this show. If you go to nhte.net, there are icons you can click on to get it from iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and TuneIn Radio. Do make sure that you subscribe and tell a friend. And, of course, our social media, our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, icons for all of those on nhte.net as well. Glenn, take us back to the beginning. When did you first take an interest in art? But then even more so, when and why did you decide that this was what you wanted to do for a career? Well, I'm lucky in the sense that I've always known I wanted to be a cartoonist. And it goes back to uh, when I was a kid, I was weaned on Charlie Brown books, penis paperbacks. Uh, but I, I get dug into them much more deeply. I studied them. I traced the drawings. Uh, Schultz was a hero of mine. I, later in life, I got to be friends with him, which was, wow. which was great. And I got to express to him the joy that he brought to my life. Uh, the first drawings that I ever remember doing, my, my grandfather was a, um, he, he worked in a factory, but he could have been a cartoonist because he drew great, he was funny. When I was like four or five years old, he would sit me down at the kitchen table and he'd put a blank piece of paper in front of him and he'd have a piece of paper and he'd draw a line and he'd say, now copy that line. And I would draw that line, he'd say, now draw this line. And we would go back and forth, you know, over an hour where I would draw every line he did and at the the hour would be up and there'd be two drawings of a naked woman and my grandma would come in and chase us out of the room. But I mean, that that's how, you know, humor and drawing has always been sort of like hand in hand with me. And I was the kid who drew in uh, the teachers in grade school and got yelled at and had uh, on my first duplex book, I, uh, I had a, a copy of my report card from the fifth grade that said, if Glenn doesn't put down the pencil, he will never, you know, get, you know, get anywhere in life. He's so, but, um, but I, I've always uh, been lucky and lucky enough to be focused throughout my whole school on being a cartoonist, and it's, and I know a lot of people don't have that luxury, so I'm very uh, blessed. But then, did you actually go to college for art? And if so, where did you go? And, and what about the humor aspect? Do you just have a good sense of humor? Or does one, when they want to become a cartoonist, take some sort of training towards that? 
Well, the, uh, the the humor thing is is just a muscle you develop like anything, like a musician learning the piano or, or anything. Like when people ask me how long it takes me to, how long does it take to draw a cartoon, I, I tell them 25 years because, you know, it's the culmination of like every bad cartoon and every good cartoon and everything in between. Uh, when I was uh, throughout high school, I knew I wanted to be a cartoonist. When I got to college, enough people had told me you have to like think of like a real job now. You can put away the cartoon dream. And so I went to, uh, uh, I, I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts. I went to a, an art school. And, uh, but when I got out of college, uh, I got a job as an art director because that's what my degree was for. And then there was a, a cartooning contest that King Features and USA Today were co-sponsoring where uh, the top 500 uh, uh, entries would get this great book on the history of cartooning. And I really wanted that book. It was like a $100 book. So I figured, well, I have a, I have a chance of getting that book. So I entered the contest and I won it. And so they, the, the prize for the winner, I found out, was that they were gonna, King Feature Syndicate would put me up with Mort Walker, the cartoonist who does Beetle Bailey, for a week. And I would spend a week in New York talking to the syndicate about doing syndicated work. I never got the book, by the way. <laughs> but I was, I did have the interest of the syndicates now because they were all aware of this contest and they all were contacting me and I eventually, Went, wound up going with Universal Press Syndicate because they had my two favorite cartoonists at the time, Gary Larson, who does The Far Side, and Bill Watterson, who does Colin and Hobbs, and I thought I'd be hanging out with these guys, you know, like at the bar every year at cartooning conventions, but ironically, they both retired the same year that I was signed on, so... Yeah, you were looking at it as, as maybe an internship. They'll take me under my wing and teach yeah. me everything they know. <laughs> that, was the, that was the dream, yeah. It did. Well, so I wonder then, w would that be the answer to this next question? I, w I was going to say, is there one something that you point to in your career that would be considered the turning point, meaning when you quote unquote got your big break, or is it something else? Well, my career zigzagged so much, but that would be the first zig, was winning that contest and going down that syndication route. And then I started submitting to magazines and I started getting into magazines. That was another, but the animation uh, part of it started about 15 or years ago when I, ha when I met uh, Michael Eisner, uh, just, just coincidentally, because uh, I was working for a newspaper that his company had bought up and he was coming through town and just thought he would just stop by. But in that, during that visit, he saw my work and said that he wanted me to work for him, and that sort of launched me into the animation side of it. Okay, now it's time for Bruce's bonus. This is a segment here on Now Hear This Entertainment where I take off my hat as podcast host and put on my hat as president of Now Hear This Incorporated, giving a helpful tip for the listeners that are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers who are out there trying hard to make a go of it. Today's bonus is start a podcast. Yep, that's right. There's a wide open invitation for anyone and everyone to start a podcast. Consider it as an extension of your marketing. It's a way to get your name and your brand out there a whole lot more and reach people who otherwise might never come to know you. It's also a great place to showcase your skills and your knowledge. And if it's something you've considered before, start now. Far too many people wait far too long and then regret not having started one sooner. And that is today's Bruce's Bonus. How about that? Helpful? 
There are a whole bunch of tips just like that over all the prior episodes of this show. To make it easy for the listeners out there who are musicians, singers, songwriters, entertainers to get the tips in one concise format, there is a Bruce's Bonus Book Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3 for purchase in ebook format, giving you all the tips from episodes 1 to 40, 41 to 80, and 81 to 120, respectively. Just go to www.brucesbonusbook.com for online ordering and instant delivery. Glenn, we've talked on this show on a number of episodes about performing with a spouse or a significant other or family member. In your case, in 2005, you and your brother Gary launched The Flying McCoys, which is a single-panel comic that has been featured in the Chicago Sun-Times, New York Daily News, Washington Post, and get this, listeners, 150 other clients. Was there any of that... Oh, no, they, they say you're not supposed to go into business with a family member. Fear when you started that with him? No, because uh, I've always drawn shoulder to shoulder with next to Gary since I was a little kid. We grew up with the same input of what fed our sense of humor and what developed it. We, we love Chuck Jones, uh, you know, Bugs Bunny cartoons. We love Mad Magazine. We love Mystery Science Theater. All the things that sort of, you know, you know, all the ingredients of the soup we were mixing together. So when I had the opportunity to do the Flying McCoys, um, I immediately reached out to Gary because uh, our drawing styles are similar, our sense of humor is great, and uh, he inspires me because I think he's the funniest guy in the world, so I always try to like match that level. Awesome. Tell me that you agree with me that MST3K jumped the shark when Joel Hodgson was no longer the host. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I got to agree, and I, a week ago I, uh, they passed through St. Louis with a new crew, and I was just thrilled to see Joel was the guy up on stage introducing everybody so yeah i'm i'm glad to see that he's come back to the, the product and he's got a hand in it but yeah joel's definitely my favorite i didn't know that uh let's move on here your work on syndicated films include the lorax ice age 3 despicable me uh, pixar's planes and the minions movie talk about the differences working on films versus what we had been talking about up until this point well, it, um, the difference is the main difference is that it's such a huge collaborative effort. You know, my editorial cartoons, my comic strips, my gag cartoons, greeting cards, kids books. That's all for me. That's that's not filtered through anybody else's prism. But the uh, the movies, uh, you when you see the scale of these things, you you have to be a team member, and you so. Um, I work with a director, I submit, you know, he'll tell me like a scene that he's working on and ask me if I have any cartoons or humor or gags that I can add to it. Then I'll draw up all these things and I'll send it to him. But it goes through a committee then. So, you know, the director and, and uh, you know, the writers look at it and they, they decide which works in the context of the overall movie. So there's all these other moving parts to it. But I, I find it really exciting because we had talked about the response that cartoonists don't get. Well, this is something where I can sit in a movie theater and I know that a joke of mine is coming up or there's like a scene that I storyboard it and I get to like just sit there and listen to the laughs and the uh, the short that ran prior to the Pets movie, The Secret Life of Pets, I wrote and directed that and it's like a short about minions doing yard work and I got to take my mom to the, you know, take her and that was just like the biggest, you know, thrill of my life actually seeing my mom in a movie theater and having her watch and listen to the people laughing at you know, I'm sure she wanted to stand up and say, stop the movie, this is my son, you know. <laughs> so, 
But yeah, it was a thrill. But so then uh, help me understand when you were talking about the directors and submitting. So is there such a thing in, in your world as a rewrite where they say, we like this, but, but could you kind of do some tweaks? Or is it they like the idea or they don't? It, it's constant rewrites where, um, you know, I'll submit work and they'll, and because the scripts are always changing too and the writers are working just as fast as I am. And sometimes a great joke, which would have gotten a big laugh, suddenly doesn't make sense because, a, you know, a, a page is being written prior to the scene that were changed. So there's there's a lot of that. Like I said, there's a lot of moving parts. It's very kinetic, but, um, but you just, you know, when a joke like that, you know, gets taken out, you, you set it on another pile and think, I might be able to use that for a comic strip, or I might be able to use it, you know, so there's a lot of recycling too. Wow, wow. Well, and it also sounds like when you're working in the film industry that you do have a boss, whereas everything that we had talked to in the first part of the show, you're your own boss, essentially. Yeah, tr true, tr true, and and he has his own vision, and, and that vision takes priority over everyone else's vision. So, you know, you, you might love a joke, but he knows what he's trying to do, and so you have to bow to his his good sense and his his idea because he's the real artist, you know, steering the ship there. But I take it that I'm using the word boss. I take it that it's not an adversarial relationship because you almost just made it sound like sometimes it could actually help you grow as an artist with the, with the feedback you get. Yes. Yeah, and and I've the directors I've worked with, they they've always been very. Uh, I mean, they've never said, I'm I'm your boss and you're going to do what I say, but it's always sort of understood that he's the guy who's ultimately going to have his name on the movie, and so you, you want to make his movie the best you can, and that that's what I do. You know, that's, that, that's my mission, is to bring whatever talents that I have, along with everyone else bringing their talents, in this collaborative effort to make this thing the best movie possible. And, you know, and I'm I'm thrilled like when, you know, my jokes get in there, but if, if they don't get used, if the movie succeeds, then I'm happy. Well, and needless to say, like anything else, if he's happy and, and it goes over well, then it's probably more work for you. Exactly, yeah. Uh, on, on another project. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. I am on location at Comic-Con International at the Convention Center in San Diego talking with illustrator, animator, cartoonist, and children's book author Glenn McCoy. Visit his official website at glennmccoy.com. As I mentioned before, that's Glenn with two N's and, yes, McCoy with two C's. He is also on Facebook. You will find a link to his Facebook on glennmccoy.com. His books, as I mentioned before, to name just two titles, Penny Lee and Her TV and I See Santa Everywhere. His books are available via the usual retailers such as Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Please go to Amazon for anything whatsoever through the banner on nhte.net. Consider a contribution to our Patreon campaign. There's a button for that at nhte.net, along with a button to join our Facebook group. Please write into the show. Let me know where in the world you are listening from. We've had listeners from 127 countries around the world for this show. Podcast at nhte.net is where you can write into it. In fact, let me know what platform you listen through. The website, iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, or TuneIn Radio. Or maybe there's another one out there that I'm missing. Subscribe and tell a friend and engage with the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Links to all those at nhte.net. Glenn, we do also need to still cover the books that you've done. I've been mentioning two titles, Penny Lee and Her TV and I See Santa Everywhere. Is working on a variety of projects like this, print work, films, and now here books also, is that what enables your creativity to continue to flourish? 
Yeah, I, I try and I, I find a hard time of compartmentalizing the different types of humor that I do. And I know some cartoonists are really good at that, but I tend to just fill up notepads with funny stuff, and then I try to take that stuff and try to sort it out and say, well, this could probably be a duplex strip, or this could be work for the movie studio for this scene that I'm working on or whatever. But I'm pretty scattershot, and I find that kind of helps me, you know, not being too focused. I, I'm married to a wife that's able to, you know, write a paycheck or, or write a check because I've never learned how. But, but, uh, but I, I tend to work that way. So, like the kids' book sort of sprouted out of other ideas that I was doing. It's like, you know, I, the, um, I think Penny Lee and her TV was like some, something I was thinking for an animated short, and I, and it just uh, seemed like, okay, I, if I wrote it in verse, I think it's a kids' book. And the other thing uh, was uh, the I See Santa Everywhere was uh, something that I did just on a lark for a, a director that I was working for as a Christmas gift. And he wrote back going, my gosh, this should be a book. And I didn't even think about it. I said, yeah, you know what, I'll try it. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of like really accidental kind of fun things, but my, my stuff, uh, you know, I, I uh, of course the editorial stuff is, is easy because the the characters and the topic are already there, and I just have to sit down and like comment on it. The uh, the gag cartoons, the comic strips, and all that. You're basically creating a world, and then you're you know you create characters, and you try to decide how these characters would re respond or react in this world that you created. And uh, the but there's a premise there because you create the premise of the comic strip when you started the comic strip. The gag cartoons, you just have it's like. I'm gonna set the stage, I'm gonna dress the characters, I'm gonna write the dialogue, I'm going to do everything for them. It's a one-act play, and then you're done and you move on to something else. So it's all it's all different how you approach and how you think about it. But I like what your description because what I was picturing in my head was myself, I write a blog every Monday and I regret ever having started it because I think I've been doing it for something like three years now. And there are days when I sit there on a Monday, which is the day the blog comes out, and I say, I have no idea what to write a blog about. And, and uh, obviously everybody knows the famous Seinfeld episode when they're trying to create the pilot oh, yeah. and they're sitting around in Jerry's apartment and that's when it when the the infamous phrase that's a show came yeah. up what'd you do today nothing that's a show but in your case a lot of it is responding to uh, that day's occurrences or the day before's uh, events yeah uh, you know a lot of uh, you know cartoonists will ask how do you get your ideas you know how what, what's your technique and I wish I had one I desperately wish I had one because there there's some days when you're staring at that blank piece of paper and you're thinking if I don't fill this by my deadline, the newspaper is going to run a big blank box or something that says our cartoonist is an idiot and he's not able to. But you ultimately, it, it, the ideas come to you, but it's always weird how they do. I mean, like some, some days I'll be in a drive through line, you know, at McDonald's and suddenly I'll get hit with like four ideas and I have to like pull out of the drive through line and find a parking spot and write all this stuff down. I carry notepads with me. Like when I'm out to dinner with like friends and like someone says something funny that I think, oh my God, that I could use that. And then it's like, everyone stop laughing. You know, <laughs> stop the spontaneous joy that we're experiencing. I, I have to work now. But it's, it's so weird how the idea is sometimes, you know, and my brother Gary has the funniest story because and this is true. He said that a couple times he's tried to laugh out loud 
honestly laugh out loud and then go backwards and try to think of something that would have made him laugh like that. Wow. <laughs> but it's wow. it's weird. It's like a there's like a stream that goes by full of ideas and you have a fishing rod, rod and you're like you just keep like fly fishing hoping that you're gonna snag an idea and like sometimes you get like ten and sometimes you know the fishing biting. So well, I like the I like the McDonald's drive-through analogy or the out to dinner with friends story because obviously songwriters talk to me on this show all the time about keeping their iPhone next to the bed in case they wake up at three in the morning with a song idea or whatever. And you're saying it's really not any much different for you because you're always on standby to jot down an idea. But is it jot down the idea in words or is it actually sketch out something? Uh, well, if it's, if it's visual, I will probably sketch because I can sketch so fast that I can sketch faster than I write. Uh, but it's usually writing them out. And I I keep the I I keep the notepad on my nightstand, and I've gotten really good at writing in the dark because I don't want to wake my wife up. And uh, but there's been like a couple times when I wake up the next morning, I remember that I think I had a cartoon idea in the middle of the night. I should check on that, and I look at it, and it's just a perfectly straight line that goes from one end of the paper to the other. So I must have been almost in deep REM sleep, where I just sat up like a zombie and just put a line across the paper and went back to sleep. Okay, and since we're having fun, I will tell you that when you said, if you don't come up with anything, the newspaper's going to run a giant white spot that says our, our I was thinking you are going to say, our, our cartoonist has the day off, and it made me think maybe because we're in San Diego, the home of Anchorman, I was thinking of... Um, Tits McGee has the night off. I'm Veronica, Veronica Corningstone. <laughs> right, right. You say classy, San Diego. <laughs> uh, is there such a thing, then, as a, as a typical work day for you? Uh, yeah, in, in a sense. I mean, there, there's, uh, you know, uh, no pants. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, my dog coming down and trying to distract me. But... Uh, you know, I, I have two drawing boards, and sometimes if I'm not getting any, any ideas on one drawing board, I'll move over to the other one. But for the most part, I just, uh, it's just a lot of free farm thinking. It's just filling up sketchbooks. You know, you draw, almost, it's almost like drawing a spoke where you start with your idea in the middle and you just veer out in different directions and see where they go. But in terms of a workflow or a schedule, it, it's not a it's pattern not, from day to day. No, it's crazy. It's, it's different. Like every single day, I'll, I'll have like, you know, you know, five different editors, you know, waiting for something or, you know, a couple directors and it's just, you never know, but that's what keeps it fun. Yeah. So, so that's a good, that's a good segue. I was going to ask you, what do you, what do you do away from art? How do you relax? Uh, even when I'm not drawing on the clock, I still draw. I mean, that, that's what I like doing, but I mean, I, uh, watch a lot of bad TV, which I write off as inspiration. So if my wife yells at me about getting to work, I can always say I am. Um, I, uh, you know, bike riding, you know, all the kids, all fun stuff with the kids and stuff like that. Yeah, just, you know, re read a lot of, uh, you know, you know, comic books and things like that. Nice, nice. Uh, final question, what is upcoming for you that our listeners should be on the lookout for? Well, I'm working on, uh, we just finished Despicable Me 3, which just hit the theaters like a couple weeks ago. Um, and I'm working, I just finished my uh, my last short for the theater, which will either be a DVD edition or hopefully wind up in theaters like my first short was, More Minions. Uh, I'm working on The Grinch, and um, and we just started on Minions, uh, the sequel, the Minions movie, the sequel. So, yeah. And so... 
projects like that that will be coming out or even events like this where you're out on site where people can meet you, uh, probably Facebook would be the best way for people to keep up with you and, and find out those types of goings on? Yeah, f definitely Facebook. I'm going to, I've made a vow to myself this weekend that I'm going to get on Twitter and start growing my social media presence. So, yeah, if anybody has any advice on that respect, you know, contact me on Facebook or like throw a rock through my window with a note on it. And so uh, once you launch a Twitter, people can look on your Facebook and probably on your website to find out what your Twitter handle will be, yes? Is that how it works? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, you know, you should, you should, we should talk after this. I was going to say, maybe I just told you instead of asked you. Glenn, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Bruce. This has been a ball. Thanks. Well, listeners, that will do it for this week's episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. Many, many thanks to illustrator, animator, cartoonist, and children's book author Glenn McCoy. Do visit his official website, glennmccoy.com and of course like his Facebook too and now that you just heard it we'll look for him on Twitter by the time this episode comes out he will be up and tweeting for that matter tell him you heard him on Now Hear This Entertainment and again look for his books via the usual retailers such as Barnes & Noble or Amazon don't forget to visit www.nhte.net and sign up for the email newsletter there by simply putting in your email address and of course please do subscribe to this podcast and tell your friends about it give us a nice review on iTunes or Stitcher Radio too hopefully accompanied by a 5 star rating that really does help the show a lot. If you're listening on SoundCloud, remember that you can like and repost episodes there, and you can also follow on SoundCloud. Engage with the show, too. Go to nhte.net and click on the icon to go join the Facebook group. You can also write in via the email address podcast at nhte.net. Get with us on the various social media platforms that you'll find links to at nhte.net. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Please also consider supporting the show with a donation through Patreon. There's a button at nhte.net for that. And check out the t-shirts and hats at nhte.net as well. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. 